we find life being justified in Jesus Christ, being made right in him, and through that we know eternal life. And we know that life abundantly also, not just eternally, uh, but also right now in the day in which we live. No matter what the circumstances are that we find ourselves in, what we're faced with, the difficulties, we can understand a peace that surpasses all understanding. We can certainly know what Jesus said in John 10.10, uh, about that abundant life in Christ. And, uh, and I'm talking about a hope. I'm talking about a joy. I'm talking about a confidence um, that can only be found in Jesus Christ. And so let's start out by reading the first few verses here, starting in chapter 3 and verse 10 of Galatians, which says, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written... Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law, and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Heavenly Father, we are once again reminded that it is by faith that we are justified. Not by any effort on our part. It's not by the observance of the law by following rules and regulations. But Lord, it is a promise that you first made to Abraham. And so Lord, help us to live that in our lives. To know what grace truly is. In that as we walk in that joy of the certain hope of eternal life because of our faith, and and by your grace, that we then respond by loving you, by demonstrating our obedience to you. Not because we're going to gain more favor with you, but because we simply want to glorify you for what you have already done for us. And so, Lord, we commit this morning into your hands, Lord. We thank you for your word, and we ask that you would give us understanding. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I find it interesting today that people will say they believe they're going to heaven because they've done more good than they've done bad. You know, that's kind of a a general understanding of the world. Uh, It's it's interesting how the world uh, knows that there's some type of celestial balance, right? That uh, if I just do more good, you know, I haven't murdered, I haven't, you know, and they go through the list. I haven't done any of those things. And so therefore, because of that, I believe that I have a place in heaven. And and so I bring that up because I I think it's interesting. Why, Why would you even say that? Why? Because it's been placed in man. There's a thing called conscience. conscience. And, and with that, um, there's an understanding of morality. That's why even if someone doesn't tell you that it's bad, you know, hey, it's bad to steal. It's bad to murder. It's bad to lie. Th- those things are not right. That tips the scales 
in the other way, doesn't it? But I thought it was interesting. We, we can address, actually, the, as far as that celestial balance of good and bad, right here and right now this morning, and understand, first and foremost, that the scales are tilted against us. James 2.10 says, For whoever keeps the whole law, but fails in one point, has become accountable for all of it. Anybody sin here? We're, we're done. That's it. We're done. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we admit that. We confess that. We've all sinned. We've fallen short of God's perfect standard in some way, shape, or form. To break the law at all is to be a lawbreaker. And thus, we are found guilty as charged. And there's nothing on our part that can free us from this guilt because there's no way we can sufficiently satisfy the debt. We don't possess that ability. We've all missed the mark of perfection in keeping the whole law perfectly, and therefore, we are guilty of it all. The following, I believe, as the Apostle Paul was speaking to the Galatians and explaining to them, in, in hopes that through it they would understand how life is offered by God as a gift of grace, just as He offered it to Abraham. Remember that the Judaizers had come in and they were uh, teaching a, a different gospel. We saw that in the first chapter. They were being fooled into believing this. Now they had to keep the law as well as believe in Jesus Christ. And Paul was saying, no, 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 no. That's a different gospel. If there is a different gospel, which there isn't a different gospel, there's only one gospel, only one good news found in Jesus Christ. And that is grace. It's not the law. We're going to see that this morning. For all who choose to exercise faith in God, it will be accounted to them as righteousness, something the law could never do. Never do up to that point and can never do today. And so the whole celestial balance idea is man's flawed idea of how it works. It is an opinion. It is a worldly philosophy. At the same time, it isn't entirely wrong. There is a balance, but the only one that can tip the scale in our favor is not us. It's Jesus Christ. And by believing and surrendering your life to Him, you shall enjoy His righteousness as your righteousness and know eternal life by faith in Him. And so we know that to be true according to the Word of God. So as we read the first few verses here, we see the problem and the solution. Paul quotes, as I said at the beginning, three verses uh, in the Old Testament here, beginning with Deuteronomy 27, 26. And, and we're also going to take a look at a couple other places, including Habakkuk. What he is helping the Galatians to understand is that there has been a futile attempt by the religious leaders to work to be in good standing before the Lord. It's been a, an, an effort of futility. It's vain. It's empty. We'll never get you any closer to the Lord by doing more or less. 
better or worse, all of it falls short. It could never accomplish what Jesus Christ accomplished on the cross. And what's funny is, the law itself points that out. The, the very word that they have been studying all their lives and they have been adhering to as best as they could is the very same word that points this out. It's right there. The same law we have been trying to keep in order to be made right before God is the same one that condemns us and tells us that it does. It communicates that to us. It's clear as clear can be. So the question is, how does the law curse man? Is the law itself evil? God forbid. No, it is not. The law curses man because man fails to keep it. Not in some portions, but in all. So therefore, it's a curse to us. And and as I quoted James 2.10... So it is that when we fail in one area of the law, we have failed it all and become lawbreakers. For we are at that point guilty of breaking the law and subject to judgment. As as we're guilty, we're, we're subject to judgment in that which comes because of it. God never intended the law to be the means by which we attain salvation. By keeping it. That's something that, that we've brought forth and we want to keep it and we think, well, we're going to be in a better standing before the Lord by keeping the law. That was never intended. That was not the means of salvation ever. It is for this reason we can think about the sacrificial system that God put in place in order to help the Israelites then. And it was a foreshadowing of the substance that is found in Jesus Christ. So there's the law, and then there's the sacrificial system that God put in place that we can look back on, and they could also, at the moment when Jesus Christ came on scene, they could think about the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It's through the sacrificial system that there had to be the shedding of blood in their place to atone for their sin. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins, according to Hebrews 9.22. It all pointed to the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ, for it was John the Baptist who said in John 1.29, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So then Paul begins to give the Galatians the solution to this problem. As he now quotes Habakkuk 2.4, But the righteous shall live by his faith. Not by works of the law, but by faith, by, by faith in the person of Jesus Christ. That is what would make a person approved before the Lord. Our faith. As I said earlier, Habakkuk is quoted three times in the New Testament, and each time a different word is emphasized. And, and this, this is why it's, it's awesome to just simply study the Word of God and, and see how it is that it's laid out. In Romans chapter 1, verse 17, the just shall live by faith, and faith is emphasized. 
in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 38, live is emphasized. The just shall live by faith. And here in Galatians, the word that is emphasized in this one verse is just. Because that's really what's being brought to the surface. Uh, helping the Galatians understand, hey, listen, we are justified by faith, not by works, not by the law, not by adherence to, to the law. And so that's the emphasis that we see here, is the word just. The just shall live by faith. Those who are approved by God are approved and made alive in Christ because of their faith in Christ. Approval comes by way of faith and not the keeping of the law. And, and I have to say, when I, as I was going through, I was thinking, this is freeing. This is liberating. This is like, ah, no, no bondage, no weight. It's been completely lifted off of us. It's not because of our performance, how good we are, how much we've done for the Lord. Oh, God, you must be so proud of me. I've done so much for you, Right? No, absolutely not. Has nothing to do with what we've done or not done. That church, that's freeing. At this point, are praising and glorifying God with our lives is just out of a pure response to the grace that He has demonstrated to us the love that he has shown on the cross. That's what it is. 2 Corinthians 3.17 says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. Now for those that insist that the keeping of the law is what will put them in good standing before God, Paul said, number one, that the law is not faith. Listen, the law is not faith. And then quoted Deuteronomy 21-23. Remember the Apostle Paul. Um, he was gaining in stature among all of the religious leaders of the day. He was the understudy of Gamaliel. The most highly respected teacher, Raban, of the day. And so he knew the word of God inside and out. And so he was quoting, he was... He was um, helping to the, the Galatians to understand this, this is coming from the very law that we've studied and you know. He quoted Deuteronomy 21-23, the one who does them shall live by them. In other, in other words, you'll be mastered by the very law that you have now submitted and subjected yourself to. You're going to have to live by it and live by it perfectly. Have you done that? And the answer is, of course, no. They know better than anyone else that it's not possible to keep the law perfectly. So he was explaining by way of Scripture the very doctrine of grace that we have before us. He was telling them, you will live and die by the law. And the law, listen, is not faith. And as I just told you earlier, the just shall live by faith. But also, uh, you are found right before the law, uh, before the Lord, because of your faith. Justification comes by faith. 
not the law. Paul is countering those Judaizers who were trying to convince the Galatians to keep the law in order to be made righteous before God. Paul is saying, as far as what they had been teaching, nope, that's wrong, that is not right. They're teaching you something that's wrong. The Word itself has been telling us all along that we are justified by faith, not by works. Consider Abraham. Consider Abraham. The solution is found in the redemption that is brought forth by Jesus Christ. And redemption is the act of buying back. The thought of rescuing is only one part of it. But we cannot overlook and look past the payment. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. We have to preach the cross more. You know, yes, as I've said probably the last few weeks, yes, Jesus loves me, right? He loves me today, but what we need to consider is that past demonstration of love. Because it's when we consider the past demonstration of love, we also confess our sins and understand the power of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. He loved us, and therefore, He loves us today. We need to look back. Otherwise, we we talk about He loves us today, and it starts becoming just, we're even more self-absorbed, you know. Yes, He loves me. Yes, he loved, but he loved us. Oh, consider the cross. That's where the power is. Ephesians 1.7 says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, trespasses according to the riches of his grace. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 17-19 through 19 says, And if you call on him as Father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, Conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, which is what's being referred to right now. Not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Jesus became our curse. that we may be made right before the Father. He became our shame, our humiliation, and our curse, so that we could receive the blessing of Abraham. Jesus took the curse away and gave the blessing that we did not deserve. And so this blessing comes to us in Christ Jesus. The gift of God's grace is found only in Christ who shed his blood so that we could be forgiven by paying a debt for sin he never committed. It was all for you and I. This is a perfect love that God demonstrated to us. So number one, the problem and solution is what the Apostle Paul begins this section section with. And we have the promise by faith, verses 15 through 24, which says, to give a human example, Paul continues, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, No one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. 
It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one. And to your offspring, who is Christ, this is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterward, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God, so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise. But God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Verse 19, why then the law? It was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made, and it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now an intermediary applies, implies more than one, but God is one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Verse 23, Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. So Paul then explains to the Galatians that even the covenants that are made by man, uh, they, they cannot be an old. A covenant stands, and they knew it. A covenant stands as it's been made. And that's between men. How much more? When God makes a covenant with man. One of those things to think about. We're fickle at best. We change. We have regrets. We second guess. Our decisions are imperfect. Sometimes the deals that we make are deeply flawed. Without real thought. Sometimes by impulse. God is not any of the above. His decisions, His covenant is binding. He's faithful. He will never go back on His word. He will bring forth and about exactly what he said as he said it. He doesn't doubt himself. He doesn't second guess himself. He is not a fickle God. He is not capricious. He is a God who is perfect in all ways. And his promises are good. And by the way, this covenant that God made with Abraham was not dependent on man. In other words, it wasn't uh, on the condition of, if you, no. He simply made the promise to Abraham, and so it was. But we know that he cannot deny himself. Throughout Scripture, we are reminded of his faithfulness. We can also draw our attention to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13. You know, he's faithful. He cannot deny himself. 
Offspring here is, uh, is a reference to Jesus Christ. So it's very clear. He said, the Apostle Paul said, offspring, singular, is referring to Jesus Christ, right? And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. And so God is making it abundantly clear that he had made this promise to Abraham how many years before the law? And just a quick reminder, Galatians, I want to remind you, Abraham, the, the, the promise that God made to Abraham came 430 years before the law. That's a good thing to keep in mind. So the prom- so, okay, so the promise was outside of the law. Yes, it was outside of the law. It was, it was a promise. And it was not dependent on man. The law, when it came 430 years later, did not supersede the promise that Abraham had made, or that God had made to Abraham. And, and it's interesting that the, the way it's, it's worded, as he, as he gave it to Abraham, it was, it was a gift. That, that word, actually, it, its root is found in Grace. So even at that time, when God made that promise to Abraham, he knew it was, it was a gift. It was by grace. Do you receive it? It is by grace. And Abraham said, yes, I receive it by faith. Ah, it's accounted to you as righteousness. Outside of the law. Independent of the law. If justification were changed from attaining it by faith to now it being attained by the law, then God would have changed his mind, and he doesn't change his mind. And you and I would die in futility because no one can keep the whole law. So the question here is, and the Apostle Paul anticipated it, so what's the law for? <laughs> right? Well, why did you introduce it? If, if you've already uh, offered and provided this grace through a promise, why the law then? Ah, good question. I'm glad you asked. Because of the sin of man. And to help us understand what is sin before God. Uh, what is wrongdoing? What is an offense to God? To reveal how we have erred and what it looks like to correct. What are we going to confess of? How is it that we bring glory to God? How is it that we can praise Him with our lives? How we can live as living sacrifices unto the Lord who has lavished us with grace and love and patience and mercy And so the law was designed to keep us and prepare us for the work of the Messiah. The, the seed or offspring that was to come and through whom all the nations would be blessed. The law served to identify the prison in which we are in because of our transgressions. A prison of condemnation without the gift of the promise, which is being made right by faith in the one who redeemed us by his shed blood. That's what it does. That's the law. I love the law in that sense. 
to where it's revealed, oh, I, I, have, I have fallen grossly short of any kind of righteousness I, I can ever muster up. On my, I, I've come grossly short. The Word, the law itself, helps us to realize that we are guilty of sin and therefore helps us to acknowledge our condemnation and bring us to understand God's offer of grace through faith in Jesus Christ. That's initially what I came to understand when I came to the Lord. I I get it. It, It's not rocket science. It isn't. You you know what it is? It comes to our understanding. We understand it. Just like kids understand when, when they've they done wrong, right? They know. You know what keeps them from being made right? Same thing keeps us, you and I, from true salvation in Jesus Christ. Same thing. Pride. Pride. We refuse to acknowledge and therefore we remain condemned in our sin. It, it's the same thing. Yeah, we're just a little older. We're practicing the same childish ways. Just refusing. Refusing to believe. Romans 2, 4 says, Or do you presume, and this is, this is wonderful right here, this is what draws, this is what drew me, this is what draws men unto the Lord. Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? His kindness. I remember just remembering, remembering uh, hearing about that kindness, that, that grace, that mercy, that love, that patience, and he demonstrated it by sending his own son to die on the cross in my place. Oh, that's kindness. That's amazing love. That's God's grace. And that's how and why man ought to respond. Saved by grace. The law revealed our transgressions and served to keep us as a guardian until Christ came to fulfill the promise. And so the law not only served to reveal our imprisonment due to our guilt, but the law also served to keep us as a guardian does to protect us from our own sin by acknowledging it, dealing with it. That that means confessing and uh, allowing the Lord to atone for it. And then learning how to live it, that we might live right lives before the Lord. Lives that are pleasing unto Him. The law and the sacrificial system that was introduced prepared the people for the coming Messiah, Jesus Christ. To understand that this was the promise of God to Abraham. Oh, here he is, right here, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Introduced. How wonderful. So the law, of course, would lead us to this understanding. The law was not only there to help us understand that we were imprisoned in our transgressions and to guard us from sinful living, but also to lead us into understanding. Understanding. The law is a perfect schoolmaster. But who loves a schoolmaster? Anyone? No one loves a schoolmaster, right? But we love the teacher. The schoolmaster prepares us for the teacher. Let it prepare you 
for the teacher as he pours out his love and gives you understanding. That's what it should have done for all of those people who heard at that time. And Paul is reminding the Galatians, this is the very word of God. This is what we've, we've known all along. And I just want to help you understand. So number one, the problem and the solution. Number two, the promise by faith. And thirdly, the pledge fulfilled in Christ. Continuing on in verse 25. The Apostle Paul writes, But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Your standing before God is not measured by your performance. It's not measured by your obedience to God. And that's what the Galatians were being taught by these Judaizers. And the Apostle Paul was saying, No, please, reason with me. I'm reasoning with you. Please think about this because I'm laying out for you uh, an argument according to Scripture, that what they're telling you is not true. It's not right. Your right standing before God is determined by one thing and one thing alone, your faith in Jesus Christ. Nothing more and nothing less. That is it, just Jesus Christ. His sacrifice on the cross is what paid for your sin, and through faith in Him and His work, we are made right before the Father. Salvation is by grace through faith, and it is not exclusively offered to the Jews or the Greeks just for men or the women, slaves or free, has nothing to do with any of those things. Slave or free, you can have hope in Jesus Christ. You can know forgiveness of sins. You can know salvation and the hope of heaven. That is something that nothing, no one, no law, no country, no ruler, no authority here on earth can touch. And for that, we ought to all say hallelujah, praise God, all honor and glory to Him, for all can come to know salvation in Jesus Christ. It has nothing to do with how much money you have or don't have in your pocket, whether you live in a small house, big house, or no house. It does not matter. What Paul was referring to in baptism is not a water baptism, but rather identifying with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Have you been baptized into Jesus Christ? Oh, that's much more than just going through the motions. Yes, I have confessed with my lips, with my mouth, that Jesus is Lord, and believed in my heart that God raised Him from the dead. You know, and and I've gone through that. No, no, no. It's, it's, hopefully you've, you've prayed, you've asked the Lord to forgive you of your sins. You've, you've confessed your sins to the Lord You've repented of your sins, and you are a new creature in Christ. But being baptized into Christ is putting on, being clothed with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. If you've confessed that, but there's absolutely no evidence of salvation, 
then that's between you and the Lord. You need to really ask the Lord, it was, was my conversion really genuine? I would hope that we would humble ourselves enough before the Lord and ask that. Because 2 Corinthians 5.17, and I'm sure many of you have already memorized this scripture. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Jack Hibbs, I don't know if you, you follow him at all. He's been posting uh, pictures. I, I guess he has... Uh, um, uh, the, well... I guess the whole change of metamorphosis that's taking place uh, when a caterpillar is turning into a butterfly. And he's showing the progress of, uh, he has a monarch butterfly, and it's almost ready to, to break through the cocoon. But the beauty of it, uh, it's completely changed. The, the old is, it was a caterpillar, right? The crawling thing, ugly as ugly can be, Right? But that turns into a completely different thing. Like, what is this? You went into this cocoon, a, a caterpillar, and you come out a butterfly, a beautiful monarch? And it, at this point, the, the, the cocoon, what do you call it? Chris something, right? Yeah. Okay. You can see through it. You can see the beauty of the, the monarch. Uh, I remember, and probably you, you know the story, how there was this man that saw the struggling butterfly inside and, and thought how sad, you know, uh, felt pity for the butterfly. And, and as I was struggling to get out, he thought, you know what, I'm going to help it out. Kind of just cut the cocoon a little bit, kind of to, to help it, you know. Seems right to do help it out. And sure enough, it, it helped. He did help the butterfly come out. The only problem was that the butterfly, he noticed that the butterfly couldn't fly. Couldn't fly. He was wondering, well, why, why can't it fly? You know, it looks beautiful and it has the wings and all that. Well, the butterfly had to struggle to break through in order to build the strength necessary to fly. It looked beautiful and it looked like it could fly, but it couldn't fly because the man did not allow it to break through and struggle to get out and build its strength, and therefore it, it couldn't fly. So, number one, we, as we surrender our lives to Jesus Christ, have been transformed. We're completely new creatures. If that is evident in your life, you know you've gone through that conversion. You've gone through that transformation. You have new desires in your heart. You, you, you want to bless and glorify the Lord. But there is struggle that is necessary to strengthen you, that you may learn to walk and live in glory to God. Sometimes we want to alleviate that struggle, but it is necessary. All things work together for good to those who love God and are the called according to His purpose. There's a struggle and it refines us, it strengthens us. It, it shapes and molds us into the image of Jesus Christ. And we reflect his glory as it should be to him. 
So as the pledge or promise is fulfilled in Christ, we are called to be fully immersed in Christ. As I was saying, fully clothed in Christ. That is to fully put Christ on, to be fully clothed in Christ. In other words, you're not playing the Christian, but you are the genuine Christian, follower of Jesus Christ every day and at every moment. There is spiritual integrity that is exhibited in your life, not because you think that would, be, that would make you right before God, but because He has already done that work on your behalf and you're responding to that love by blessing and honoring Him, by living a life that is truly and wholly given to Him. It's a desire now that you have to bless and glorify Him. In Christ we are justified, made right before the Father in Christ. We are one. We are one, brothers and sisters in Christ. And in Christ, we are heirs of eternal life according to the promise. The promise of salvation was not dependent on man. It was completely dependent on the faithfulness of God. The question for us is whether we will receive that offer of salvation in Christ, forgiveness of our sins. And then, how shall we live? The just shall live by faith. I want to leave you with this story. It's found in John chapter 3. In John chapter 3, and this was, and I tell you this because this was an exchange between a Jew that knew the law very well and Jesus. This was an exchange between Nicodemus and Jesus. You see, Nicodemus was a Pharisee, and he was uh, not a teacher of the law. A teacher of the law would be considered uh, Rab, a, a R-A-B. Nicodemus was considered the teacher of the law. And I'll, I'll explain it in a couple minutes. Rabban. There was this exchange between Jesus and Nicodemus. In verse 1 it says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Key. Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, You must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe? If I tell you heavenly things, no one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from the heaven, from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And, the, and so we go on, for God so loved the world, right? And I want to end with this story because, because of this. Nicodemus, what we assume is that Nicodemus had no idea about being born again. Did you know that the Jews knew very well that you could be born again six times? Six times. 
they knew the term. It was very familiar to them. You think a Pharisee wouldn't know this? They knew it very well. How can you be born again? Number one, conversion. Well, Nicodemus, he was a Jew. He didn't need conversion, so that didn't apply to him. Secondly, to be made king. Well, they were under Roman rule. There's no opportunity to be made king. It didn't apply to him either. There's two. Bar mitzvah, have you heard of that? At 13 years of age, you can be born again. And then there was marriage. Born again. Between the ages of 18 and about 23. Let's go with the fifth. The time of your ordination. When a Jew was ordained into ministry. Born again. Common. What was the other one? Oh, to be the head of a rabbinical academy. Born again. That normally came at the age of 50. Ordained at 30. All six. Born again. They were very familiar with all of that. And so Jesus was teaching Nicodemus. Listen. Born of water and of spirit. Water is a natural birth. Spirit is being born from above. And he was telling Nicodemus, you are the teacher of Israel. Meaning that Nicodemus knew, I'm over the age, I've done all of these things, how can one be born again when he is old? We miss that. We don't understand. Why? Because we have this maybe Greek perspective or we have an American perspective and we have no idea. But when we consider all those things, we understand that Nicodemus had to be taught by Jesus what he was saying. It's the same with you and I today. We need to, any other way that we thought we could be made righteous before God, we cannot. There's only one way. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so we confess there's salvation in no other No other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And so just as the Apostle Paul was correcting the Galatians, it's the same thing that Jesus was doing with Nicodemus. We need to understand that we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Our obedience to the Lord is simply a response to the love that was already demonstrated to us, and we do so in freedom, complete liberty, knowing that that doesn't give us a right stand before the Lord, just his grace. That was it. And it's done. May we, church, respond in a fitting manner and bless and glorify the Lord. Heavenly Father, once more we thank you for your grace and the love that you have demonstrated to us through your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, for sending him to this earth to hang on a tree cursed on our behalf. For he became for us. He shed his blood for the forgiveness of our sins. And we look to him, not only the author of our faith, but also the finisher of our faith. That in him we know hope and we know that one day we will be in your presence for all eternity. Thank you for your grace and your love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.